Am I on? It really is an incredible joy to be here this evening. I want to thank Christian and uh, Phil, I knew his name, Phil Pye, for giving me the opportunity to come and share my story. Uh, and also, 38 years ago this November, I rescued Kathy from Mansfield. <laughs> and she's been thanking me ever since. So, I wasn't joking. I want to share my story because all of us have got a story. And I do believe with all my heart that the day I was conceived within my mother's womb, that God put something in me and God put something in you, and that was a desire to be the best person that you could be. That you could become all that God had graced you to become by His grace. But how many of us know that life has its ability and sin has to knock the stuffing out of us? And I want to share uh, my story. If you can put the first slide up, please. If you want to move across this way. I recently published a book called Influence, Principles for Building Your Future, Developing Connections Which Point You in the Right Direction. Because I've come to realize 43 years down the road, that I can never be what God intended me to be without the help of other people. Jesus called it discipleship. We call it mentoring. And I'm so grateful to God that in the course of my life, He has brought a handful of people across my path who had profound effect on me. Let's read these uh, words on the right of the screen here. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. How many of us know that keeping the right company is essential to us becoming what we can become? The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. And how many people do we know who hung out with the wrong people? And they might have had incredible zeal, but when they mix with the wrong people, something happened. And I want to talk tonight about who are you hanging out with? Where are they taking you? As I look over my life, there have only been two major pathways of influence. The first pathway took me downwards, leaving me feeling very insecure, a little self-worth and belief. And in fact, I developed a very bad speech impediment. I can remember being in school. And uh, I knew that in about three or four people down the line, it'd be my turn. Anybody ever been like that? And I was dying a thousand deaths on the inside. Because I could never imagine myself reading the piece I was supposed to read. I can remember being in the queue for the cinema and getting to win about five people of the kiosk and having to get out of the queue and start all over again because I could never imagine myself being able to ask for a ticket. i tell you why. When I was five years of age, my mother died from breast cancer. And she was pregnant with my brother Billy and being a good Catholic moral upright person, she was told in those, that's 1959, that if you have this medicine, more than likely it will damage the baby within your womb. 
So she made the decision that rather than damage my brother Billy in her womb, that she would forego any medication. So you think chemo is bad today. Think what it was like all those years ago. So 11 months after my brother Billy was born, my mother died of breast cancer. My father used to work at the Ford Motor Company down in Dagenham. A lot of Irish people worked there. And so my father is left with five young children. The youngest being 11 months old, who was eventually adopted by some relatives of mine. But if we can go back to 1922, I'm sure Phil can go back that far. 1922, Catholic Ireland. My father's mother conceived him out of wedlock. And in those days, that was like a mortal sin. So she went away and gave birth to him rather secretly. And she left him. So then he was put in the care of a lady called Mrs. Algiers, who eventually developed a drink problem. So then the Catholic Society took my father from Mrs. Algiers and put him for a number of years into a reformatory school, or like an industrial school, which was like a poorhouse. Now, my father, I don't th- my father, I don't think was ever sexually abused, but was definitely physically abused. Let me tell you why. Because here he is, now looking after four young children, because my youngest brother, Billy, was with my cousins. And some nights, she'd get us out of bed at 11 o'clock at night and inspect behind our ears. And it was ironic, on the night you never washed behind your ears, they were clean. And on the nights you didn't wash behind your ears, they were clean. And then my father, in all his frustration and pain, and I want to say I honor my dad tonight because he kept us all together. Because when my mother died, the Catholic organization came and said, can we have your children? And he knew that if we went with them, what happened to him would happen to us. And he gave us a work ethic, which I'm grateful for. But my father, sometimes, used to stand us up against the wall and used to lash us with a hose pipe. So I'm only about eight or nine years of age. Just think of the damage that's happening to me. And so that's why I felt so devalued, felt insecure, because that was that pathway of influence, and I had no hope in life of ever getting out of that terrible hole. But in 1973, something happened to me. The whole course of my life changed. Somebody introduced me to Jesus Christ. And having never been to a Christian meeting in my life, but having heard the gospel priest on the streets of my native city, Cork, they talked to me about this man, Jesus, who I never really knew. Although I was born and raised a Catholic, I knew a lot about him, but never knew him. And they told me that before I ever loved God, that God loved me. They told me that I was so valuable to God that God sent his son to die. How many of us like a bargain? How many of us, if we are going to buy something and we realize there's a little mark on it, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Discount. I want you to know that when God bought me, when God bought you, we were all damaged. I was more damaged than you. But God never asked for a discount. He paid the highest price that heaven could ever pay. 
And that was God's Son, the sinless Son of God, came into our world and came to me in a, in a council house, in a big council estate in a place called Bellevihan on the south side of Cork City and came on a Saturday night and began to tell me that I was valued, that life could be different, that he could take me and all the potential and purpose in me and he could cause me to live the way God intended me to live. That's my message. I'm grateful to God for the people who have influenced me, who are influencing me, and who will influence me. Because without their help, I would never have got to where I am today in life, and I will never get to where I've got to go without the help of other people. And I want you to know, if you're wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. But I want to say... It only takes a handful of people to be involved in your life. So then, what a great logo. Stand out and shine. Go and grow and love and serve the community. What does influence look like? Because there's good influence and there's bad influence. And what I've done in my book is this. I've taken the word of uh, influence and I put I stands for integrity. It's an inside job. I'll talk some more about it in a few moments. The N stands for need. Sometimes you just can't make it on your own. Anybody agree with that? Yeah. I was just thinking about only reading yesterday morning when Peter and John and the other five were fishing all night and they're absolutely whacked. Jesus is standing on the shore and they don't recognize Jesus but then John says, it is the Lord. And Peter, Peter didn't recognize him but when, he, but when John saw him, Peter dived in. Peter could have missed an opportunity if he hadn't somebody else alongside of him. And sometimes we don't recognize just the Lord, but thankfully we've got people in our lives who actually recognize that's the Lord. Finishing strong, the need for an indomitable spirit. Airless for leadership, being in charge of yourself. I'm the first person I'm called to lead. You're the first person you're called to lead. You can't blame anybody else, it's you. Can I hear an amen? The U is for understanding. You've got to grow your intellectual capital. Stretch your mind. Read and learn and study. Next one, please. Encouragement being other centered. I'm so grateful to God for encouragement in my life. N is for nourishment. You've got to develop your own personal feeding program. C is for character. You are your greatest asset. I'm my greatest asset. You're your greatest asset. Hopefully. And the E is for expansion, growing your mental margins. Slide number four, please, Chris. Integrity is an inside job. Jesus always told the truth. In fact, he said, I am the truth. And if we want to be men and women of influence and influence other people, and be influenced, we need to make sure the people who are looking to for influence, that their walk and their talk match up. Got to be very careful. Doesn't care how charismatic they are, I want to know if they're keeping their vows. I want to know if they claim to be Christians, they're living according to the truth.
The Bible says this in Proverbs 11, verse 34. Sorry, verse 3 and 4. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. See, Kathy and some of our family here tonight, Kathy's mother used to say, liars need good memories. Your integrity is like your sat-nav. It'll keep you off the wrong roads. And one of the things I find about myself, and it's one of the challenges, and you probably find the same, is we can be rather selective about our integrity. Let me tell you a story. This man is out one night with his sweetheart in the car. It's a beautiful evening. And uh, they're out and they've got one of these convertible cars. The roof's down and they're really enjoying it. And they feel a bit peckish. So they go to the drive-thru. Place their order. Go to the next window. Pick it up and off they go. And they go to this really nice, scenic, romantic spot. She leans over to the back seat and gets the brown bag. Just, and then they open it, and they look inside the bag, and it's not the meal they ordered. It's the day's takings. She says to him, well, this is our lucky day. And he says, no, we can't do this. She says, yeah, nobody will know. And after a long discussion, they agree to go back to the restaurant or the drive-thru and give the bag of money back. So they go back. And the manager is so overwhelmed because he's never come across anybody as honest as these two in all his life. He says, we must get the local paper to take a photograph and a bit of a story. He says, he says no, we can't do that. He says, the manager says, we must, we must. And after a long persuasion, the manager says, well, why can't we do it? He says, well, really, the woman I'm with, she's not my wife. And we can be the same, not about those issues, but we can be quite keen about one thing and not so keen about the other. Integrity, we've got to be careful that we're not selective about it. Excuse me if I have a drink of water. The second thing about need is, need is not negative. We tend to live in a society where everybody's got to be perfect. And it puts incredible pressure on us. But I want to say to you this evening, I'm a very needy person. If it wasn't for Christ, first and foremost, I'd be an absolute wreck. And I need people in my life to help me to get where I want to get. Think of that man. The Gospels talk about him. Here he is. We don't know if he's paralyzed from birth or not, but he hears that Jesus is in town. And something in him knows that if I can get to Christ... I'll find the answer to all my needs. But he can't get there on his own. But thankfully he has some friends who pick him up and carry him. And I stand here today as a mature in age-wise to some of you, and I want you to know we all need people in our lives who can carry us. We've gone through our kind of battle with cancer, and some of you may be going through here tonight, but I tell you what, I'm grateful to God that we had people in our lives and I've got people in our lives who helped carry us through even on our darkest night. You can't make it on your own. 
the devil will rob you from growing. Because people involved in your life will bring something into your life. Can we have our next slide, please? Slide number eight. Slide number eight, please. How many bricks touch the brick that says you? How many? Six. I want to ask you tonight, have you got sick people in your life who, who touch you and you touch their lives? Isolation often leads to assassination. I've been a Christian now 43 years, and I want to say I owe a great deal to the local church. If it wasn't for local church, I'm not sure if I'd have made it. I'm grateful to the local church for our children, because they helped our children to develop their social skills. Mixing with people. You know what? There are lots of children in Mansfield and young people who do not experience this at all. And as long as I have breath, I pray that I'll be an avid fan of the local church. And how many of us know that no church is perfect? But if you ask Noah, he would rather be in the ark with all the stench and the stink than to be out in the water. And I'd rather be in church. There's no place like it in this earth. I believe in it. Christ loves the church. He gave his life for it. Can we have our next slide, please? Slide number nine. Anybody tell me who this lady is? If you get it right, Phil said he'll give you 100 pounds. <laughs> who said that? Just before we prop the next bit, can any of you young people tell me what she's most famous for? Young people on the 25. Right, let's put the next one up, please. Remember that? She was the first woman to lie in state at Capitol Hill in honor normally kept for the presidents of America. And the U.S. Senate recognized her, this lady Rosa Parks, as the mother of the modern civil rights movement. Let me tell you a story. It was a Thursday... In December 1955, when Rosa, now known as Rosa Louise McCauley Parks, boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus at around 6 p.m. to travel to downtown Montgomery, having worked hard all day in her job as a seamstress, a job she was later to lose because of her now historical stand. She boarded the bus, paid her fare, and sat in the colored section, which was located in the middle, with the first 10 seats reserved for white people. Soon, all the reserved seats were occupied, at which point the coach driver made his way down the aisle and moved the colored sign further down the bus. Having done this, he asked the people with black skin, including Rosa, to move further down the bus. As we know from history, she refused to move. The bus driver summoned the police and Rosa was arrested. The trial lasted for 30 minutes and she was fined a sum of $10 plus of further $4 for court asks. Court cost, sorry. She appealed against her conviction, and this action started a process of change. A group of local activists in Montgomery organized a boycott of the Montgomery bus system, and they appointed a local Baptist minister 
who was new to the area to be their leader. His name was Martin Luther King Jr., who I believe was a prophet of God. And the rest is history. But we need to know, if we're going to finish strong, we've got to have an indomitable spirit. Because there's always things that want to push us down the back of the bus. There's always things that want to stop you and put you in your place. We all have knockbacks. We all have setbacks. But listen, we follow somebody who didn't say he was finished, but he said, it is finished. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is that I take on his lordship of my life. And I allow him to strengthen me and give me the power to be all that I can be. Because I want you to know, as you well know, life has a habit of knocking the stuffing out of us. But you need an indomitable spirit because there are some days it ain't very nice. There are some days you just want to take a few steps backward. Anybody ever been like that? But I want you to know the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And he wants to help us. But you know what? You need people also around your life who can recognize the signs in your life. So that when you feel and you've lost that sparkle, you can put on a good show, but they can look in your eyes. And they can say, and they can see that there's something missing. As I said a few moments ago, I'm glad that in our darkest night, we had people around our lives who wouldn't let us quit. I remember going with Kathy on some chooses for chemo. And uh, it's a strange how it all works. But you go in there and you meet some people and they've got no light in their eyes. Because they've got nobody to encourage them that they can get through it. But I thank God that we have friends in our lives who've been through really tough times and they've, they've stayed the course. These are the kind of people that you need around your life. The kind of people who say, look, come on now, pick yourself up. You can get through this. Tomorrow will be different. Weeping might endure for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. <clears throat> the Bible says that a man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Proverbs 18 verse 14. Slide number 12, please, talks about self-leadership. Taking charge of yourself and your actions. The book of Proverbs says this. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. The book of Proverbs is very direct regarding the power of leadership. It says this. He who guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. You cannot say, they made me do it. You did it because you have a weakness there. The Bible character Job, in one of the darkest periods of his life, practiced self-leadership. He chose not to indulge his eyes on lustful images in order to distract himself from the pain he was undergoing. He said this, he says, you know what? I have made a, a solemn pact with myself never to undress a girl with my eyes. That's self-leadership. Self-leadership will stop you clicking on the, the wrong sites. It'll stop you playing the wrong games. It'll stop you abusing your body. You've got to take leadership. You can't, nobody else can do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. 
So in my book, I talk about that. Slide number 14. I'm looking for time here. Understanding, growing your intellectual capital. The quest for understanding should be one of our lifelong growth areas. If, if we wish to live a meaningful life, you will, we will value the empowering infusion of thoughts, concepts, and knowledge which understanding brings. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew. My time is almost gone. But if you buy my book, five pounds for one, ten pounds for two, how much for three? If you want to buy one for your friend, I presume you've got friends here in Mansfield, I'm happy to sign them for you, okay? Once you don't sell them on eBay. <laughs> Slide number 16, please. Anybody tell me what they are? Train spotters. Anybody ever seen them around Mansfield? These are train spotters. Now, train spotters, and I want to talk about encouragement being other-centered. Train spotters are generally convinced about history. Sorry, are, that's their thing. They want to know the history of, of rolling stock. So they have their little books. You've seen them. They've got the little aluminium ladders. Anybody ever seen them with them? And binoculars around their necks and a little flask of tea somewhere down here. And all they're interested in this is where it came from, the route it's been on, and the different journeys it's, and the different functions and stuff it's carried. But grace spotters are different altogether. Because grace spotters are not looking at your history, but are looking at where you can go by the grace of God. When I came to Talbot Street all those years ago, I had a bad speech impediment. But David Sherman, who's a great personal friend of ours, I'm not name dropping. But he had, and one of David's great strengths is he has the ability to see the grace of God in people. And Jesus saw in different disciples the grace of God, what they could become. And we mustn't let our past failures define us. We mustn't. We mustn't. Thank God, you know, we can learn from them and we can fail forward. But David took an interest in me and gave me advice. Some of it I didn't like at the time, but I looked back and he was right. Hard to admit that sometimes, isn't it? But my wife's coughing, that means my time's going. You think I'm joking? I'm not, mate. Because how many of us married blokes knows that our wives have little signs that they can... But remember the church of Jerusalem wanted to send somebody down to a Gentile church in Antioch. The person they chose was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The Bible says when he went there... He saw the evidence of the grace of God. If they'd have sent a, a, a kind of a, a strict Jew down there, all they would have seen was where you should be done that way. You're not living according to the law. But grace is much bigger than all that. And um, I want to read a story. You may have heard this. 
And then I'll, I'll tell you two stories and then we'll finish. You can buy the rest in the book. William Gladstone and Benjamin Disraeli were both highly charged and passionate British politicians of the 19th century. Gladstone led the Liberal Party for three decades while Disraeli twice served as Prime Minister. Though both men were influential in the politics of their country, what really separated them was their approach to people. The story is told by a young woman who was, on two separate occasions, sat in the company of those leaders at the dinner table. When asked to give her reflections of eating with both of the leaders, she said this, When I left the dining room after sitting next to Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But after sitting next to, next to Mr. Disraeli, I believed I was the cleverest woman in England. How do people feel when they've left your presence? Is it about you or is it about them? I was a, te a Teddy Stella. Let me read this and then I'll be, finished with it. I'll be finished. Years ago, I was inspired by a story I heard quoted and maybe you have also heard it. It's not, very, it's not a recent story and I'll just go through it. Teddy came from a social background which was not ideal. In class, he slouched at his school desk looked bored most of the time, and did not speak unless spoken to, and then in short monosyllabic sentences. He never dressed right, he had smelly clothes, and he was an unattractive boy. Whenever his teacher marked his exam papers, she seemed to get a perverse pleasure in marking his papers with a large F, written in red ink. She might well have known better, considering his history was on record. First grade, Teddy is a good boy and shows promise but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy is failing. His mother died this year. His father shows very little interest in him and his education. Fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly backward. His father has moved away and Teddy is living with an aunt. He's deeply disturbed. Christmas came and all the children brought gifts for their teacher, Miss Thompson. They were carefully wrapped except for Teddy's which was wrapped in brown paper and held together with tape and had written on it for Mrs. Thompson from Teddy. The teacher opened the gifts one by one for the class to admire. When she came to Teddy's gift, she felt awkward at opening this badly wrapped gift. Upon opening the package, she found it contained a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume, which was almost empty. The other children began to laugh and Miss Thompson had to control herself too. Snapping on the bracelet, she said, Isn't it lovely, class? And doesn't the perfume smell good? At the end of the class, Teddy hung around waiting for the moment when Miss Thompson was free. Teddy approached her shyly and said, I'm glad you like my gifts, Miss Thompson, he whispered. All day long, you smell like my mother, and her bracelet looked nice in you also. After he left, Miss Thompson put her head down on the desk and cried. She prayed to God and asked for his forgiveness and asked him that he would help her see what he sees when he looks at the motherless boy. When the children came back to school the next day, Miss Thompson was a new teacher. She tutored the children who needed extra help, Teddy most of all. By the end of the year, he caught up with most of his classmates and was ahead of some. After that, he, she did not hear from him for quite a while. Then one day she received a short letter. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be first to know that I am graduating from high school and I'm second in my class love Teddy Stallard. Four years later, another short letter arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know that I'm graduating first in my class. The university has not been very easy for me, but I've liked it. Love, Teddy Stallard. 
Five years later, another letter arrived through Ms. Thompson's letterbox. It read, Dear Ms. Thompson, I want you to know that up to today, I am Theodore J. Stallard, MD. How about that? I want you to come and see where my mother would have sat because you're the nearest thing to a family I've ever had. Jesus did that for me. And through people, he still does it for me. And a bit of encouragement goes a lawful long way. And I want you to know that large doors often turn on very small hinges. Final slide, and then I'm going to finish. Finally, I want to say you'll never bend it like Beckham. No matter how hard I try, no matter how many hours I put in, because I haven't got his gift mix. And all I'm saying is not about trying harder. It's about training and taking what God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, and putting it to work. And with the help of other people, become all that we can become by his grace. God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity coming.